Thanks, Rusty, for those wonderful songs of gratitude and thanksgiving and praise um, to God. None of us saw 2020 coming. If you want to smile in the midst of a difficult time, just think back about, about your plans that you made in January. If you had New Year's resolutions, think about those. Uh, if you're a church leader, we look at each other occasionally and smile and think, oh yeah, that 2020 vision, <laughs> yeah, I remember, I remember that. And uh, a lot of that can still be done and is still being done. Uh, some of it, not so much. None of us saw 2020 coming. We, we just didn't. And so as I titled this sermon, I, I hope that you appreciate the title, Gratitude in 2020. <laughs> I started to put, really? <laughs> but I think you understand that. I think you understand that. And, and not only is uh, this title, uh, I also have a title for my first sermon in 2021 on January 3rd, um, which will be 2021. Finally, <laughs> I'm not sure how much is going to be different in January of 2021, but I think that we are all ready uh, to do that. I, I saw a, a funny tweet or something a while back. Uh, someone wrote and said, I am not buying a 2021 calendar until I can have some assurance that 2020 will end. <laughs> I thought, yep, preach on. That is, that is for sure. None of us saw 2020 coming. And yet today, even today, I believe in counting your blessings. I believe in counting your blessings. We'll sing that great old hymn in just a little bit. I believe in counting your blessings, even in 2020. And I think we have plenty of wonderful, positive things that we still have today as very, very blessed, the most blessed people on this earth, I believe. And certainly as Christians, as uh, uh, Chris shared with us earlier, around the table, as these wonderful songs that we've been given, as the, the great degree of fellowship with one another that we have, and, and the blessing of being able to pray for one another and share each other's burdens, um, as our new shepherd Grant Knight led us a few moments ago. Uh, what a, we have so many wonderful positive blessings for which to be thankful, even in 2020, but I do believe that as we're counting our blessings... I believe that one of those blessings is trials. I think at this point, you, like I, have probably seen a lot of the lists that are going around through email and social media and um, other things that are uh, talking about lessons learned in 2020. Uh, we have had wonderful Bible classes uh, during this time since we started up Bible classes again, and I've been a part of the classes, the adult classes in the Family Life Center in the last couple of weeks especially. Another one of our shepherds, Wade Weathers, has shared about uh, that difficulty uh, between uh, having faith in the biblical record and in the God who is the creator and sustainer, the judge and the savior, and at the same time acknowledging uh, the important questions and uh, difficulties at times that the scientific world might bring before us. And it's been, this morning especially, we had a, a great deal of, of discussion. And this coming Sunday in that class, I want us to think about 
what we have learned as Christians and as a church this year, what some of the lessons that 2020 has taught us. And so I think there's a lot of those kinds of lists that are out there and that are, I I think, that are good and helpful. And you may want to do that. And you may not want to show it to anybody, but I think it would be good uh, for each of us to consider what, what has really... What has this year taught me? What are some of the benefits? What have been some of the challenges? I think that's a great thing. But I think that one of the, one of the blessings of 2020 is it reminds us. It reminds us of the blessing of trials, of difficulties, of challenges. And so this morning I have a very weird, <laughs> you know me, I have a very weird Thanksgiving message <laughs> And that is, I want us to look at one of the most difficult passages in Scripture, really, and one of the most difficult verses, and that's in James chapter 1. I believe in counting your blessings. I also believe that one of those blessings is trials. And I think Scripture teaches us that. It teaches us that in the very words that it gives us. But it also teaches us that in the examples of the people that we see that are the heroes of the inspired word. The greatest of which is Jesus Christ. And so reading this passage in James chapter 1, beginning with this difficult verse, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And we want to say, come again? (laughs) That's, I'm sorry, you lost me there. And if that were the only verse in this passage, you would have lost me too. And a lot of our friends and family members who don't appreciate the scripture message and don't appreciate that faith in Christ that we might, um, that's where they stop listening. And that's unfortunate because as true as James chapter uh, 1 verse 2 is, it's not the only part of that statement. And so let's read it again with the verses that follow. James 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And now skip down to verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. As we think about this passage and we think about the trials, we're very much aware of the difficulties that we have experienced. Our our congregation that is worshiping with us today online is is making that sacrifice even still not being able to be here as a part of this group not being able to see those faces um, not being able to see the eyes smiling and unless you're in your pew that's the only part that you see smiling because everybody has masks on from the nose down and rightly so Many are not here today because they shouldn't be here today. And we're so 
very grateful that we have this online presence. What a blessing. What a blessing. But one of the things you lose that you don't get to experience as well um, as those of us that are gathered here are these wonderful songs that we've sung today. And it just just made my heart, you know, sitting up here at the front, you really get to appreciate that more. But as, I, as we were singing that song, you know, we sang two songs today with the same title. Did you notice that? Thank you, Lord. There are two songs. You don't think that's caused us worship leaders and planners fits and those who prepare the bulletin fits through the years, trying to match those up? Um, but we sang two of those songs that are titled, Thank You, Lord, and that one that starts out, For all that you've done, I will thank you. And that beautiful chorus part where the men sing and then the women come in and echo you did so beautifully with that. Um, and, and it's such a blessing to be able to hear that again, uh, to be able to be encouraged by these wonderful songs and hymns of faith. I think one of the lessons that we have learned uh, in 2020 is to count our blessings. But again, I think one of those blessings is trials. So let's look at these verses from James chapter 1 and and make a few statements um, about being grateful, even for the trials. First of all, the trials in our lives test our faith. The trials in our lives test our faith. And so we see that in verse 2 especially. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And that that seems like a contradiction. It seems like that's there's something more to it. And there is, as we read. But the trials in our lives test our faith, and so we do not deny the difficulties. We don't deny the difficulties. And this verse is not meant to be there as if to say, you should be happy in your that you're suffering. I don't believe that's true at all. I don't think that is the right definition of biblical joy. Biblical joy goes so far beyond the happiness that we might experience in this world based on our circumstances. If everybody likes us, if the doctor has good news, not bad, if the church is doing well, if the job wants us and is paying us appropriately, all of those things and so many more are wonderful blessings that we appreciate and that we pray for actually And that help us to be happy in this world. But that kind of happiness we know in our heads, maybe not as much in our hearts, but we know in our heads that there's no guarantee that those things are going to be consistent. In fact, our experience has proven exactly the opposite. Our experience has shown us that it's going to be good days and bad days. I mean, we are what we are. (laughs) Right, Chris? And so we use whatever that is to glorify God. I think that's especially seen in that wonderful story in James, uh, in the Gospel of John chapter 9 when, when Jesus approaches this man born uh, blind and they, his disciples ask him, who sinned? Who caused this? Why? Why did this happen? And Jesus, as he does so many times, goes, wrong question, but I'll answer it anyway. The reason this happened is so that God can be glorified in this man's life. We are what we are, and whatever that is, that is because God can be glorified in your life 
Even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of trials, difficulties, testing our faith, yes. Those things are there so that God can be glorified. And so we don't take a special joy and happiness in the hard parts of of life. But we don't deny that there's good that can come from them. Just as we don't deny the difficulties, we don't deny God's working in the midst of them. And that's what separates us from people without faith. Because people without faith, they can only see what is there. And that's why their happiness or their sadness depends on the external circumstances of the moment. And that's why so many of their decisions are are based on that. But for the Christian, for the child of God, for the disciple of Jesus Christ, we see those things differently. And we acknowledge the difficulty and do not deny that. And don't wish it on anybody, but we also acknowledge that God is at work in the midst of this. Just as he was at work with Moses, who had so many wonderful excuses for why he couldn't do the job. And finally, God gets frustrated, I think, and just says, Moses, you're my man. End of discussion. You're going. That's it. I loved Romans 8, my favorite chapter in the Bible. And, and there's, a, there's a section in there that starts in verse um, 14 and goes on. And in verse 18, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Later on in that passage, he says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, We wait for it patiently. Now, I think Paul and I are going to disagree about that patiently part at times. (laughs) Not so sure I'd do too well on that one sometimes. But we hope for what we don't yet have. That means that we're still in a world where we experience difficulties. We experience trials, and those things test our faith, and we don't deny them. But at the same time, we also don't give in to them. And we don't believe for a second that God can't work his will out even in these trials, even in the difficulties, even in things that test our faith. Number two, the trials in our lives produce in us perseverance. Again, starting in verse 2, but reading the next couple of verses as well of James 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The trials in our lives produce in us perseverance. And that's so important because Jesus even tells the story in the parable of the soils and the sower. He talks about that seed that is thrown out in the rocks. You remember that one? Thrown out in the rocks and boy, it springs up like crazy. But there's not much root because the rocks are there. And then when 
times of testing come, when difficulties come, when persecution comes, it dies off because it has no root. It hasn't done what these verses that James just shared with us tell us is the purpose, God's purpose in our trials. It is to strengthen us. It is to make us mature and to make us complete, to help us be able to persevere on down the road and maybe even to persevere now. Second Corinthians 1 says a part of the purpose for our trials is to help others develop that, to comfort them the way the God of all comfort has comforted us. The trials in our lives produce in us perseverance and some things like much of 2020 can only be endured (laughs) there are some things that you just have to persevere you just have to put your head down and buckle up and go through it it's kind of like those storms sometimes when you're on the highway and you're thinking you know I wish I could drive around this storm but I can't so here we go obviously sometimes the right thing is to pull over and wait for the storm to pass but that's not the right thing every time Some things like much of 2020, I think, can only be endured. And so you figure out how you can endure that, how you can survive that, how you can grow through that, how you can persevere. And Scripture, of course, has much to say about that. I've listed on the outline the great passage from Hebrews 10 at the end through that wonderful chapter 11, the honor roll of faith and And then the last person in that honor roll of faith, Jesus himself in Hebrews chapter 12. And it starts out with this quote from Habakkuk chapter 2 that Habakkuk struggled so much with the difficulties in his life as the Babylonians were going to come in and take away his, his country, destroy Solomon's great temple, tear down the walls, destroy the city, carry everybody into exile almost. And Habakkuk tried to talk God out of that and say, God, this doesn't make sense. You're too righteous and just a God to allow a less righteous nation to punish a more righteous nation. And that makes sense to us too. And God says, yeah, I know, Habakkuk, this is never going to make sense to you. But my righteous one will live by faith. Basically saying, Habakkuk, you're just going to have to trust me on this. That's all I can tell you. Some things can only be endured. Some things can only be persevered. And yet we can do that. And and so the writer of Hebrews, after using that example at the end of chapter 10, says, "So, so we're not like those who are destroyed by the difficulties. We're like those who believe. We're like those who trust and have faith. And then in chapter 11, he says, let me, let me tell you what faith is. It's like Paul said in Romans 8, hoping for something you don't yet have. That's what faith is. Faith is believing in something that you can't see. It's experiencing something that you really can't experience. As Paul would write to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, right now, we live by faith, not by sight. It won't be that way forever, but it's that way now. 
And so the writer of Hebrews says we have to have faith in order to please God, Hebrews eleven six, And he says, let me explain to you, let me show you what that looks like. And that's that great chapter 11 of Hebrews. By faith, all of these great heroes of the Bible did all of these things. But in the midst of almost every single one of them is difficulties, trials, hardship, handicaps that they had. And yet they accomplished great things for God by faith. That's what faith is. It looks at the difficulties, it looks at the trials and the hardships and the sacrifices that need to be made, and it makes them. Because it doesn't live by sight, it lives by faith. The trials in our lives produce in us perseverance. And so much of the things that we experience in this life have to be endured, not enjoyed at all, but endured and persevered and and somehow finding a way to get through it, first of all, but to get through it especially with faith not only intact, but stronger. There's so many at times who will experience difficulties and will use it to weaken their faith. And so many others who go through something very similar or even more difficult, and for them, it only strengthens their faith choice is really ours how we'll respond whether we'll endure and learn perseverance or whether we will give up and live by sight and not by faith for the joy set before him hebrews 12 says jesus endured the cross scorned its shame and received his reward and now he is the example for us The trials in our lives test our faith. We don't deny the difficulties. The trials in our lives produce in us perseverance. And some things can only be endured like this year. (laughs) But then number three today, the trials in our lives move us to pray. The trials in our lives move us to pray. In James 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. This fall on Tuesdays and Thursdays on my Facebook page, we've been going through the book of Psalms. And one of the things that I love about the psalmist is that they were very honest worshipers. They didn't hold anything back. When they didn't understand something, they told God, I don't understand this. They never let go of their faith. But they also never denied the difficulties that they were experiencing. And so they took that to God. And James, the half-brother of the Lord, who saw his brother die on the cross without vindication, without justification. And perhaps I wonder if during those three days before the resurrection, James shook his head and, and talked to their mother and, and told her, you know, I, we told him this was going to happen. We told him this was going to happen. But then the resurrection Sunday came and the tomb was found empty and the stone rolled away and Jesus began to appear to different people, including his brother, James, that wrote this epistle. And he was never the same. The trials in our lives move us to pray. And so when James says, look, if you don't understand something, then pray about it, he's speaking from experience. Talk to the Father 
about it. Prayer acknowledges our dependence upon God. It acknowledges our dependence upon God. And that's what we heard today from Grant during our shepherd's prayer and from Chris around the table. That we pray to God. That we depend upon God. That we rely upon the blood (laughs) to be our covering. Because we can't do that on our own. Prayer acknowledges our dependence upon God. And we see that in a great way in so many wonderful passages of Scripture. But I want to remind you of the story of King Hezekiah in in the Bible. In 2 Kings chapters 19 and 20, there are two great examples when King Hezekiah, who saved the southern kingdom of Judah by responding to the prophet Isaiah and trusting in God in the midst of a, a a time when the Assyrians had taken over uh, Syria. They had taken over the northern kingdom of Israel, and now they had their sights set on Jerusalem and and Judah. And they send him this letter in 2 Kings chapter 19 saying, look, don't trust in your God. Nobody else's God was able to handle it. We're going to destroy you just like we destroyed them. You might as well give it up. And Isaiah, uh, Hezekiah, the king, took that letter and he took it to the temple and he spread it out before the Lord. I love that. That's what we do when we're going through difficulties and trials and we don't understand it. We spread it out and lay it out before the Lord. That's what he did. And because of that, he saved his people. Yes, only for a while, some decades, but at least he saved them then. In chapter 20, God sent Isaiah the prophet to him to tell him, put your house in order. That's where that passage is. Put your house in order, King Hezekiah, because you will die. This illness you have, you will not recover from. And so Isaiah, you know, he had done his job. He walked out and Hezekiah the king turned to the wall and prayed. When you're up against the wall, that's what you do. And many of us have been up against the wall this year. When you're up against the wall, you turn and you face the wall and you slide down and you get on your knees and you pray. And you acknowledge your dependence upon God. And that's what James tells us to do. Look, if you don't get this, then pray. It doesn't mean just pray about it and you'll all feel better and everything will be butterflies and rainbows. No, it doesn't mean that at all. Again, we don't deny the difficulties. It just means that we tap in to the power of God that is not dependent upon circumstances that's not dependent upon anything. Paul learned that with his thorn in the flesh and he communicated that to the Philippian church in chapter four when he said, look, when things don't make sense, then take it to God with thanksgiving in your heart. Take it to God in prayer and his peace that none of the world can understand will hold on to you. As we close today, this statement and the reading of James 1, verse 12, we are able to persevere because of what God has promised. And he has not promised that everything is going to go our way in this life. In fact, if you read the Gospels closely, Jesus promises, look, if you're going to be my disciple, some things are not going to go your way because of that. But I will be with you through it all. We are able to persevere because of what God has promised. And God has promised his presence, but he's also promised us 
the crown. The Lord has promised us the crown of life. James 1 verse 12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Doesn't say he's going to take away the trials and the, and the difficulties. It just says he's going to see us through it and give us the crown of life. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, I discipline myself to make sure I don't lose that crown after preaching to everybody else. In Revelation 2, the the church at Smyrna is told, if you're faithful to me, even unto death. The church at Smyrna, one of the few churches where Jesus doesn't have anything bad to say about him. It doesn't look like it if you measure them by the world standards. But Jesus tells them, you just hang on to me even if you die. If, even if I don't save you from harm and death, you will receive the crown of life. And Paul, at the end of his life, as you know, in this greatly quoted passage in Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the course. And because of that, there is now waiting for me the crown of life, the victor's crown, which the Lord has promised to give to me, and not just to me, but to everyone who loves and longs for his appearing. We're able to persevere because of what God has promised, and the Lord has promised us the crown of life, and there's nothing, not anything, that this world can do to take that away. And so along the way, we have times of blessing and joy and we have times of difficulty and trials but in all the times we count our blessings and we name them one by one because that's what faith does let's stand and sing this great hymn together